0: hope Everybody is doing well this morning. Um, we are um, going to continue back in the book of Ezra where we've been for the last eight weeks or so. Um, and uh, good news, maybe not good news, I don't know. Um, but we have two weeks left. And so we are in the tail end of finishing up Ezra. Um, we'll be finishing, uh, we'll be looking at chapters seven and eight today. And um, next week we'll be looking at chapters nine and ten which will conclude Ezra. And then afterwards, uh, we're going to be starting um, for the next six weeks after that, leading up to Easter, looking at Romans chapter 8. And, um, you know, we all of all of the, uh, the pastors, the elders in Bedrock, we get together on Monday and we discuss our sermons together and we talk. And um, one of the guys from our church in Bedford had said this week, he said, you know, I had somebody come up to me after the service and say, you know, I've really been struggling. There's just so much in here and you cover so much material that it's really hard for me to keep up. And so if that's you and you feel like, man, we've just been breezing through Ezra uh, and there's just so much in there, just hold fast. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to slow it down and we're going to be looking at like uh, one or two verses each week uh, as we look at Romans chapter 8. So I would encourage you ahead of time, though, um, to read through Romans chapter 8. It'll uh, so much increase uh, the, the, our time together. Um, when you're familiar with the text. And so, um, like I said, in two weeks we'll be starting in Romans chapter 8. But today we are in Ezra chapter 7 and 8, and um, that's one of the um, one of the challenges with, with teaching through um, historical accounts and books is that we get a lot of words um, that just kind of give us a, a storyline of what's happening. And so kind of overall today what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of give you a summarization of what's happening in in chapter 7, what's happening in chapter 8, and then we're going to key in on a few texts that are really going to help guide our time together. Um, Before we do that, though, I I feel like we've had to have these moments where we keep coming back and have a little bit of a history lesson just to kind of get our minds in the right place because Ezra is a, um, the time period in which Ezra um, consumes is It's a long period of time, and there's a lot of things that happen throughout this time period in Ezra. And so um, I just want us to to just be um, reminded real quickly where we are. So last week, chapter 6, we we saw that they finished the temple, right? They finished building the temple, and that was in 516. Um, We talked about how that was under King Darius or Darius, depending on how you want to say it, tomato, tomato, um, whichever way that is. Um, That was in 516. BC. Um, and then between um, the end of chapter 6 um, and the beginning of chapter 7, there's a 58 year gap where Ezra doesn't give any account of what's happening whatsoever. Um, he's just like, okay, and now we're going to pick back up. <coughs> but during this time, we also get another book. We get the book of Esther. And so the book of Esther is happening in this gap um, in between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, and so there's a new king there, King Xerxes, um, which is a pretty, pretty big, uh, important person, person in the Persian Empire. Um, and so King Xerxes, you know, the story of Esther and how God saved um, his people through that. And then we pick up with chapter, uh, chapter 7. And so in chapter 7 here, we pick back up um, in, in 58, uh, 458 B.C., we have Ezra's returning with the second wave of exiles. So you remember the first way it came through, um, King Cyrus, right, gave the decree that they could return and rebuild the what? What have we been talking about? The temple, right? They're going to rebuild the temple, and their leader was who? Am I remember, is there anybody afraid to say his name? Zerubbabel, right? Zerubbabel was their leader, and so they're going to return and rebuild, and they accomplished that. And so now Ezra is coming with the second group. Um, that is being sent by King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, and so he is going to send Ezra to come back, and his purpose, really, as Zerubbabel was to rebuild the temple, Ezra is going to rebuild the people. <laughs> Ezra's focus is going to be rebuilding the people of God, rebuilding um, the, how, what it means to worship God, and how uh, to reform a lot of the ways uh, in which they... Um, we're worshiping God and so that's, that's kind of his main purpose and so after Ezra though, it's not the end of the story, um, remember we, we said that Ezra and Nehemiah was actually one writing at one point and then it got divided into two, so then you get a 13 year gap and then you have um, you have Nehemiah chapter 1 and so God raises up this guy named Nehemiah and his heart to return back and so Nehemiah um, takes a group of people Still under Artaxerxes, and they go back and Does anybody remember why they? What their mission is? They're going to rebuild the what? The walls. So we have rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the people, and rebuilding the walls. That's the three kind of things that are happening under this um, return from exile. <clears throat> and so, um, I think it's good for us to see the overall picture of how this all fits together. And so, when we are looking today, we realize that um, this is a. There's been 60 years since the t- temple's been built, all right? There's been 60 years that the people have just kind of been doing their temple things. Um, and so when Ezra gets back, he's going to run into some things that I don't know that we were expecting to happen. Um, and we'll see that next week. Um, today, we're going to focus, uh, Chapter 6 and 7, really focuses on the preparation for Ezra. As he prepares himself, as he prepares the people to leave and start the journey back, um, he, he's focusing on that. And so we're for, finally, for the first time, um, like I said, we've, we've been in this for eight weeks now, and we've yet to meet the guy who the book um, has got its name from. And so we finally, after eight weeks, get to meet Ezra. Ezra. And just to give you a little bit of information about Ezra as we, as we go along. Okay, so Ezra um, was a priest. Um, his, his name means help um and he was a priest in the order of aaron okay and so what that means the significance behind that was that um the the line of the high priest came through aaron right aaron that was the the line of the high priest and so what we'll get in the beginning of chapter six is we'll get actually a genealogy of ezra telling us how he's actually in that same line as the high priest um and, and the priests were really the custodians and the teachers of the word of God. They were the ones that were entrusted with the word of God. And so as Moses um, was entrusted with the law, right? And then he entrusted that then to the priests to teach it to the people. That was the role of what the priests would do. They would make sure that the people understood the law, the word of God. Okay? And, and not only was he a priest, but he was also a scribe. scribe and and at this point the scribe was one who would who would actively teach the word and so the priest was the was the one who who was uh, commanding the people to teach um, and and kind of protecting the word but then the scribe was the one who actually was was the one who who did the copying and the writing and a lot of the communicating um, of that day Uh, some people have described the the scribes as the pastors of that day Um, they would teach the people the word of god and so um as as part of this process he he had mastered what the law was the old testament law he had he had there was no doubt that he had memorized the entire old testament or or at least the period that he lived the old testament that they had and so i thought this is a really good and helpful explanation of that as we look at the old testament figures right um and don't don't click these yet i want to see people know these um and gave it away chad and gave it away that's all right um so, okay, stop. No more. You get one freebie, all right? I'm a very gracious grader. No. In the Old Testament, right, you have the figure. So Moses was the great prophet, okay? Who was the great psalmist and king of the Old Testament? David. 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 Good job. You guys are on a roll. And then who was the great scribe? Ezra. Good guess. You're like, oh, I don't know. Ezra, we've never heard of a great scribe. we have heard of him today. This is Ezra. And so he was, he is the one we're going to go back to. Um, throughout the history of the, of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and he played a significant, significant <laughs> role in that. Um, and so Moses, right? remember Moses received the law at Mount Sinai, and then he gave that over to, who was the guy that he passed that on to when he finished? Joshua, Joshua right? Joshua. And so Joshua then handed that over to the elders, and the elders to the prophets, and the prophets then delivered that. There was a period of time. Um, That they delivered it to the men of the great synagogue. Um, And this was a council of of men that composed the Old Testament canon. And one of those guys was Ezra. And in fact, he was the leader of that great, what was known as the great synagogue. And so, one way to think about this was that Ezra was both the curator and the expert of the Old Testament. Um, So, he's a significant person. You know, a lot of times we just look at him as like, okay, there's a guy who had this book but he also played a significant role in actually um, what we call the canonization or, or making the Bible, getting the Old Testament in the final form that we have. it. he played a big role in all of that. And so he's a very significant figure, and so we're going we're gonna to look at um, his life. Um, and so, and so um, Ezra um again his purpose was to rebuild the people he's going to bring a group back and he's going to focus on bringing them back to the heart of the worship of god and so that's kind of where we're going to go so um i had you guys did everybody get an index card when they came in am i getting one okay um sam's got some and if you need a pen um grab those i want you to get those out and i want to start this morning um by i just i want to kind of just do something a little bit different um and so if you got if you got your index card and you got your pen um here's what i want you to do okay i want us to all close our eyes for a minute okay and i want you just to think for a minute without without kind of looking around without seeing what our neighbors are doing okay i want you just to think for a minute and then i want you to write down the answer to this question if god was asking you to do one thing today what would it be God wanted if God was, was speaking to you, if there's something that you knew God wanted you to do today, something you needed to maybe grow in, or something that He would want you to do today, what would that be? Just write and then and then after you've taken some time, go ahead and write that down on your on your card. Alright. So hopefully you had time to write something down. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to hold up and show me or draw a picture of it or anything like that this morning. Um I do want to ask just kind of by a show of hands just to see the room how many of you guys were something in the realm of um did anybody write anything having to do with getting to know him deeper better growing your relationship with him know him more anything anybody wrote anything in that in that realm okay all right good good um and, and for everybody else, you just messed up my illustration, but it's okay. Um, no, it's, it's, it's totally fine. Hold on to that, because I think it's all going to relate to that. Because I think at the core, right, at, at, at the core of a lot of us, there's a universal need to grow closer in our relationship with God. We need to grow in a closer relationship with God. And I feel like it's a universal need no matter where we're at whether we've been followers of Jesus all of our life or for a long period of our life or whether we're, we're brand new to faith or, or whether we're trying to figure it all out I feel like we have this, this universal desire to grow closer to God um, I feel like we have this universal um, need to want to get to know God to, to grow closer in our relationship and so how do we do that? How does one grow closer in their relationship with God? How do we do that? Well, I think it takes a commitment to seeking God, and that's where we're going we're gonna to focus on today. It's going to take a commitment, a commitment to seeking God. Um, and so, um, and, and, and the amazing thing is that God has made himself known to us, that we can actually seek him and find him. And that's incredible, right? There are, there are people out there today in our world who are seeking a God who they will never find, right? Because he doesn't exist. Because he's not there for them, he hasn't made himself known. There are people who who are in a faith system that feel like you can live your whole life and never really actually be confident that you can actually know uh, the deity or know God, right? But we're called to seek God, to seek after Him, and to know Him. In Acts chapter seventeen, look at what this, this is Paul teaching, and it okay that's better, <laughs> and it says. Um, and then we we'll give you a little background. It says, um, and he made them, okay, so he's talking about humanity, uh, from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Listen to this. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Right? That's an incredible, incredible truth that, that we need to realize is that the God that we seek, that we have this desire, that we have a universal desire to find, He's not far from us. <laughs> it's not impossible for us to reach to Him. I love that picture that, that says that we could we could almost even feel our way. It gives me that picture of, of someone who's blind, you know, and they're just kind of feeling their way around. We can almost feel our way to Him because He's not far from us, right? He's not far from us. And so we can see God. We can find Him. He, he, he wants to be known he wants to have a relationship with us And so what does that look like right and, and the reason this is important is because it ties in with what we talked about last week. you guys remember last week in chapter six we talked about this idea of a, of a restoration of a hope and a dedication and worship right and at, at the end of the, the week last week we just said we said that um, you know for for the the people of Israel they, um, they were at this moment, right, that they built the temple and they were, they were celebrating this thing. They had this incredible hope and they, and they dedicated the temple. They set it apart and they had this incredible worship and, we, and they, they celebrated Passover and we celebrated the Lord's Supper and that kind of commemoration of what Christ did for us. And if we want to continue to live in, in that way and if we want to continue to live with restored lives, it's going to take a commitment to seeking God. That's the long game of how you continue to keep that, um, to keep that spark alive, how you continue to keep um, keep pursuing God and keeping that relationship with Him alive. Is that you continue to seek Him? You know, it's it's not one of these things that um, you ever stop seeking God. You know, it's it's kind of like marriage. You know, it's like. Uh, a lot of times for us guys, we will, you know, when we, when we find a girl that we're interested in and we'll pursue, we will pursue her so hard in the beginning, right? Um, until we finally feel like she's ours. And then we put a ring on her finger and she's ours. And then we're just like, you know what? I don't have to pursue her anymore. And then we just get lazy about it. And how does that work out for relationships? Not well. You get stagnant, boring, all this sort of thing. And it's the same way with God. Just because we are his children now and because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to continue to pursue after him, to continue to seek after him. And so today we're going to look at how we need to make a commitment to seeking <coughs> God. We need to seek him. And so as Ezra starts out, right, he's, he's bringing a, a whole new crop of uh, exiles. that are going to come back to Jerusalem. Um, And these guys are fired up, man. They are pumped, they're excited, they are ready. And they are committed to seeking God. And it's going to get really interesting because once they get back, there's this other crew that has been there for a while, right? They've been there for 60, 70 years. And so all that excitement that they first had when they came back, they lost it. And so you get kind of this, this whole thing. I don't know if you've ever been around people. Have you ever been around newlyweds? And in the same space, have people who have been, um, we'll call it seasoned veterans of being married, um, right? And so you have the newlyweds that come in there, and, and they're all like all excited, and they can't just like stop like holding hands for ten seconds to you know to to like fix a plate to eat or anything, right? And um, and they're all excited, and, and then you have these these people who have been in the season of marriage, right? And and sometimes they just shake their heads and they're like, oh, you will figure it out one day, um, right? That's kind of what we're gonna see here as as we have this new group coming in. And then this other group that's really kind of grown, kind of callous to what it is, what an incredible opportunity they have. But this new group, they're excited and they're committed to seeking God. And so when I want to just ask you, is that where your heart's at today? Because because I want to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not going to beg you today to do this. Okay? I'm not. I'm not, I feel like so many times in messages and sermons, there's a guy like me who stands up here and we spend an hour of our time begging and pleading people to do that. Like, Please just read your Bible. Please come to know Jesus. Because we know in our hearts, we know in everything that we have that we exist in, we know that if you would just do it, it would change your life. Right? And so we stand up here and we beg you and beg you and beg you. And maybe for that day, something changes for a minute. But there's no lasting results right? Because you don't have that desire, right? I can't make you, I can't make you want to desire to follow God, right? I shouldn't have to drag you closer to Jesus kicking and screaming, right? This to be something that the Holy Spirit does in your heart and in your life. It should be the natural response for a child of God to want to grow in an active and vibrant relationship with him. It shouldn't be something that I make you do or somebody else compels you to do, It should come from a place of desire. You guys familiar with that word? Desire. We use it a whole lot. Desire, right? Desire is is all about something that I want, right? It's 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 based around something that that I want to make happen, or I want, not that somebody else wants for me. It's something that I want, and that should be how we view following God, right? It's kind of like this. Um, (laughs) This is kind of funny. All right, Um, that'd be funnier with. Judah, Judah, come here for a minute. You guys ever been in the grocery store? And um, you ever notice how a kid, right? Kids are, kids are really funny. He's this is a pretty big boy. He's a pretty big boy. He's six. He's, he's going to be seven soon. He's a big boy, right? But when when he wants Daddy to pick him up, right? Come here. I want you to actually help me now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Right? Like he's, I mean, he's heavy, but I can do that, Right? Now we've all been in that moment, right? We're in the grocery store at food line, right? And there's that kid, All right, Jude, I want you to do a little acting for me. Let's just sit on the ground, okay? All right, and they're just they're just having it out, right? And they want nobody to do anything, and they just dead weight. You guys ever been there, <laughs> right? And we try to pick him up. Now try try for daddy not to pick you up, okay? Don't let me pick you up. Just dead weight, okay? That is a completely different story, right? This kid feels like he weighs 600 pounds versus a minute ago. All right, go sit down. Versus a minute ago when he jumped into my arms, right? And that's a picture of what what it's like. I feel like a lot of times we try to pick up that limp, dead person who wants nothing to do with Jesus, and we try to just drag them to him. Right? And there's a place for people who don't know Jesus to do that. But for those that are called to follow Jesus, those that have, have seen the miraculous wonder of Him transforming our hearts and lives, we should be that kid that jumps up at the opportunity to seek Him. Not the ones that we have to drag. Right? It all comes to desire. Do we have that desire? Right? And why? Why why do we struggle to commit to seeking God? Why is it? Why do we struggle? What well, makes it so hard? And I think it's because we don't have it in our hearts to do. Right? It's not something that's taken seat in our heart and in our life. So we struggle. Look at how the psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. He says this, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, does not seek God. Um, all through his thoughts, he says, there is no God. Right? pride, when I care more about myself than my relationship with my Savior, then of course I'm not going to be interested in seeking Him, mm-hmm. right? But God wants us to seek Him. He wants us to. Look at, look at how um, Ezra writes in, in First Chronicles, all right? He's the writer of First Chronicles. He says this, he says, but, but if we just set our minds and our hearts to seek the Lord, right? It's not about, it's not just about doing, but it's about a heart thing. It's about having that desire to seek Him. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, For from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. How? If you search after Him with your heart and with your soul, right? With all of your being. If everything inside of us desires to grow in our relationship with God, that's how we find Him. That's how we grow in our relationship with Him. That's how we continue to do that. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you guys to take, um, like... 30 seconds to a minute, okay? And I want you to turn around to some people around you, and I want you guys just to answer one quick question, um, and this doesn't have to be super spiritual, this is just, this could be anything, right? What is one thing in your life that you have a passion or a desire for? What is one thing in your life that you have a passion or a desire for? It could be a, a hobby, it could be, um, you know, your kids, it could be an activity, it could be it could be anything, um, but what's one thing that you have a passion or desire for in your life? Okay, so take, take about a minute and discuss that together, and we're going to come back and talk about that. So, so now we know what it is that, that we need to happen, right? We know that we need to cultivate a heart that seeks after God, that, that seeks to know Him, seeks deep relationship with Him. Now, how do we, how do, we do that, right? That's the hard part. Like, what does that look like in our lives to continue to make that a priority, to make that something that is just happening in our life, right? How do we, how do we cultivate that passion, that desire to seek after God? And so today we're going to look at two practical steps, and we're going to see these from the life of Ezra, um, for those that want to commit to seeking God. Two practical steps. And we're going to find one in chapter 7 and one in chapter 8. This is a point where I'm going to just give you guys a highlight of chapter seven instead of us trying to read through all of this together this morning, which would pretty much take all of our time, which isn't a bad thing. Um, we're going to focus in on on a few parts in here as we see what uh, what what Ezra does as he prepares himself to go on this mission that God's called him to. As he calls, mm-hmm. as as Ezra has been called to go back and to bring um, the second wave of exiles back, he does a few things to prepare his heart for this. Um, calling God has for him. <clears throat> so just uh, real quickly, um, here's an overview of Ezra chapter seven. Okay, so in the first six verses, like we talked about, there's a genealogy um, in which which Ezra wants us to know that he is from the line of Aaron, and that's important because of some of the roles and the things that he's going to do um, is that he be in that high priestly line. And then in Ezra chapter uh, again, chapter seven six through nine talks about as Ezra starts to prepare to go from Babylon, where he's at, to Jerusalem, right? To this place that the temple has been rebuilt. And in chapter 10, that's going to be our key text. So if you have your Bibles open, um, you might want to under... That's a great verse to underline, and we're going to talk about that just in a second. And then um, verses 11 through 26 is a letter from the king. And so this is a letter um, that is given to the king... To talk about um, to to talk about what Ezra is is going to do as he goes back, and so there's a section in there that talks about the provisions that Persia will make. Right, they're going to send some silver and some gold and some bulls and things to go for the temple. Um, and then um, 25 and 26 is going to talk about Ezra's mission, right? What he's going to do and and how he's going to appoint judges for the people and to teach them the law of the God of God, right? And this is actually something that The king, this Persian king, again, this is one of those incredible storylines that happens throughout the book, is that this Persian king, who really is not a follower of Yahweh, but yet he is being instrumental in God's plan to do some incredible things. And so he told Ezra, look, I want you to to set up some judges um, in order to judge what's happening in Jerusalem. Um, And I want you to teach them the law of God. And if they don't, then there's going to be consequences. And so he lists out. There's going to be death and banishment, and confiscation and imprisonment, even if they don't follow God. And then 27 and 28 is just to praise to God for all that he's done um, through the king, all that God has done and, and used in order to bring about um, this incredible thing um, of, of sending these people back and the provisions that God's made. But we're going to focus in on chapter, chapter 7, verse 10 today. And we're going to see that... Um, To commit to seeking God, um, if we want to keep it vibrant and active, we need to commit to seeking God through the word of God, right? through his word. So look at at verse 10. This is what Ezra says, um, and he's describing himself. He says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. Right? Notice that first phrase there. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to do these things, right? He had set his heart. He made a commitment. He already had decided that this was going to be a priority, that he was going to commit himself to studying the Word of God. It was by no accident that God was going to use Ezra in this powerful way, but he was ready, right? Before God even called Ezra to go and to lead this group back, he was already preparing himself. He had already made a commitment to know and to understand the word of God, right? He was a scribe. He had he had taken years of investing and studying and, and diving into the word of God, and so he was ready. He had set his heart on these things. He had made a commitment to these things to study the law of the Lord, right? And this word "law" here is is the is the old Old Testament word uh, of Torah, which means instructions, right? It describes the law of the Old Testament. Um, which, which, which we a lot of times refer to maybe as the Pentateuch um, it's those Old Testament laws that were handed down to Moses um, and he had memorized them and he knew them and he could he, refer back to them we're going to see in, in a few chapters from now that he was an expert at this and so when a problem comes he runs everything through that filter of knowing the word of God and the word of God is incredible and we should study it, and we should know it. As followers of Jesus, I mean, think about how many times Jesus quoted from, this, from the Old Testament, from the law, right? Think about the value, and think about how silly it is if we call ourselves followers of God, followers of Jesus, but yet we don't know his word, right? I mean, think about how, how silly that sounds. We follow this God, but this God has given us his word on everything we need to know, but yet we don't know it that sounds that just sounds kind of crazy and so we need to study it we need to understand it All right i love how um, saint saint augustine said it this way he said in the old testament the new lies hidden in the new testament the old is laid open i just i love that quote i love that thought right that that in the old testament there's this there's this this picture of what's coming that's new and in the new it, it shines the full light on that and it's why it's important that we understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament we study it and we understand it right? If we, don't, if we don't understand our Old Testament well, we miss the full picture of, of what Christ is going to do in the New Testament and the fulfillment that he's bringing to that and if we don't understand the New Testament then we miss the whole picture of what God has done this thing that they were looking forward to in the Old Testament so we need to study it, we need to dive into it, we need to know it right? but more than that he also says and that he obeyed it, he did it Right? He obeyed it. In James chapter 1, right? You guys are probably familiar with this passage. But listen to how James says it. He says, but be doers of the word. Right? Be doers of the word. How I many we've all heard that before, right? What does it mean? Well, he goes on to explain it to us. And not hearers only who deceive yourself, right? He says, for, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he... For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks what, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, preserve, uh, um, and preserves, before no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, right, he will be blessed in his doing. Is like man, it's like going and looking at yourself in a mirror, and you walk away and you forget what you look like, right? That's crazy. If we just if we just read the word of God, but we don't ever do anything with it. We don't ever act upon it. It reminds me of a story I heard once of a lady and um, or of, of a pastor at a church. And he said, you know, he was at this uh, older church, and um, you know, if, if you've ever been to a church like this, a lot of times the pastor will stand at the front doors, people leave, and shake everybody's hand. And he said, well, one lady, this lady came one day, this lady came up to him, and she said, um, she said, pastor, that was a that was a wonderful sermon today. I just that was wonderful. And to which the pastor replied, Well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? right it's only wonderful if we do something with it right and it's so true with the word of god it's this incredible treasure if we do something with it but if it just lays on our bookshelf right or if it just becomes a decorating item in our house or something that we talk a lot about but we don't ever invest in and we don't let that change our lives and we live it out it's not very meaningful it's not very meaningful and so as we're committed to studying the word of god he committed to obeying it and doing it, and then also to teach it, right, to teach it. Ezra, part of his plan was to teach the Word of God to the people. And so when he gets back to Jerusalem, he's going to teach them the law and to help them understand what it means to follow God. And one of the, one of the, you know, one of the, the temptations that happens a lot of times, if you're in a place or in a position where you were teaching the Word of God to somebody, right? Let me just caution you because I've been there in my life. Um, if you're in a place, and I know several of you are, where you're teaching that to somebody else, right? We have to be so, so careful that we don't just let, let it be about words that we're teaching other people, right? Because we can turn our pursuit of, of studying and knowing God into just material to teach other people with, right? and not let it be life-transforming in our own lives. I remember for, for me, when I was in seminary, it was one of the most spiritually dry times in my entire life. My entire walk of following Jesus was when I was in seminary. And it was because day in and day out, I would study God's Word, and I would study these, these great commentators that, that, that would teach about God's Word, but I wasn't letting it be alive and active in my own life. Right? I wasn't living it out. I was just kind of hearing it, and it just became this very dry season. And so there's encouragement that we should be teaching other people the Word of God. It's important. It's important. And so why don't we do it? right? Why don't we study the Word of God? right? I love what um, R.C. Sproul, if you guys are familiar, um, older, older theologian, R.C. Sproul, um, but I love what he says in his book, um, Knowing Scripture. He said this in 1977. He says this Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Not that true. It's not that I don't come to the Word of God and I can't understand what it says. I mean, we have been given some incredible, incredible minds that have been able to translate the word of God down to the point that my kids can get it. They can read it and they can understand what it says. And so it's not because it's too hard and too complicated, right? It's not because it's not because there's there's just there's parts of it that I that I can't comprehend and I can't get, right? The real problem is because I'm because I'm lazy. I don't want to put the hard work in. Right? Because it's sacrifice. It's because it's about a choice. It's about a desire. Because I would much more rather spend that time sitting on the couch watching TV than I would studying over the Word of God. You know, they always say that um, whenever before you preach a sermon, you should preach it to yourself. And um, they also say that sometimes your life becomes the best illustrations of points as well. And um, I feel like I had that this week. I was sharing with some of you guys earlier. You might be able to tell. I uh, had a cold this week, and so our, fa- our whole family had a cold. And I know I'm making a big deal about this, but you know, it's what I do. So, um, but we had a cold this week, and and um, man, it just it just kind of like ransacked through through, and and you know, you just kind of feel nasty and whatever. And uh, which reminds me, I saw this uh, this this meme on Facebook. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but it's a picture of a a lady in a delivery room, and she's like screaming or whatever, and then the title of it or whatever says, this is the closest that a woman will come to understanding what it's like for a man to have a cold, right? Because as a guy, when we have a cold, we just turn into these big helpless babies. Like at least I do, right? And I just, like I can't do anything. I can't even function or think for myself anymore because I have this head cold and I don't feel good, right? But that also translated this week into my spiritual life right? Instead of, instead of getting into the Word of God, I was just like, I don't feel good. I don't feel like doing it, right? And when did I don't feel ever become the reason for which we should be studying the Word of God, right? It should be because my desire is so poured out for the Word of God that I'm going to do it no matter how I feel, no matter what's going on in my life. I should have a desire to study and to know the Word of God. I love how, how the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, the first two verses, he says, "This blessed is the man who walks in the council, who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night." Is that our delight, right? Nicole was talking with me this week. She said, "Man, I, I realized that in my in my time with God, I've t- kind of turned it into just trying to to study all these things and check all these boxes off." And she's like, "I've lost the delight." that it is to just spend time in the Word of God. Do we delight in that, church? Do we delight in in spending time in God's Word and knowing it and letting it know us? Because we should. We should delight in this. That was was what Ezra did. He delighted in the law of God. He loved the Word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 18, Nehemiah, in in this story, um, it's picking up and it's talking about Ezra here. And look what it says about him. And it says, and day by day, from the first day to the last, he read the book of the law of God. How incredible of a testimony is this? Of consistently spending time and consistently loving the word of God. And so do we delight in the word of God? Do we love the word of God? Do we love the gospel? Do we love the good news of Jesus so much that we delight in it? Right? For Ezra... Right For Ezra, it was the the, the book of the law of Moses. But we could do that for any part of the Bible. Should we delight? Do we delight in the word of God? Do we study it? Do we do it? And do we teach it to other people until he comes? So what I want you guys to do, um, we're going to kind of take up our transparency to one more notch um, with this next question. I want you to take about a minute or so. I want you guys to just talk about um, what has been your experience or struggle when it comes to regularly getting into the Word of God? Like, what are some of those challenges that you face when it comes to spending time in the Word of God? Um, Or maybe what are some of those exciting things that have been really good about that? Um, But I want to give you guys a couple minutes just to talk about that. And then we're going to flip over and look at chapter 8 and see one more thing that Ezra focused on, okay? So you guys take just a couple minutes to look at that, and we'll get back together. As we move on from here, um, obviously we need to make a commitment to studying God's Word. That's one thing that we see that Ezra um he does is that he that he studies the word of god right he knows the word of god and then as we move into chapter eight we're gonna we're gonna notice that there's one more thing that he does um, and we'll give you that in just a second but but let's look quickly here's just a summary of chapter eight and i would encourage you to go back and read this on your own but here's a summary of what happens in chapter eight <clears throat> in the first 12 verses it's uh, it's a list of, of people that are going to go with ezra back to jerusalem And so you can compare this with Ezra 2, where Zerubbabel um, is taking the first group, and there's a list of those that go. same thing happens here in chapter 8. One of the interesting things here is chapter 8, verse 1, he switches and starts using the me language, which is implying that Ezra is going with them as they prepare. Um, 13 through 20 um, is just recognizing that there were no Levites, um, that were going with them um, in order to perform some of the ceremonial things. And so he called them to come. Okay, Verse 21 through 23, this is where we're going to focus in on today. And then 24 through 30, um, the Levites are, are chosen to guard uh, the offering. So this offering that's being given by Persia to go back to the temple, there's going to be a group of Levites that their, their mission, their job is to protect this, um, on this on this journey that they're taking. And then 31 through 36, Ezra finishes off um, his journey he arrives at the place they put this uh, offering in the temple and they make sacrifice and worship okay so that's how chapter eight kind of kind of rolls that's just a real quick picture <clears throat> but the second practical step we're going to see for us in the life of ezra is a commitment to seeking god through prayer and fasting and i put these two together because that's what we see in this chapter is that they're they're tied together let's just read real quickly um together uh, verse 21 through 23 so this is Ezra and he's talking about he's talking about this journey that he's about to go on okay and he says this then I proclaimed a fast there um, at the river Ehovah that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves our children and all of our goods Okay. So what's happening here, right? Well, well he, he proclaims a fast. He, Ezra recognized that he has this, this journey he's about to go on. And this was a dangerous journey. Um, this wasn't just like um, us going across the street or us on this little quick trip. This was a 900-mile journey that he was about to embark on. And he knew along the way that he was going to come into contact with people who would want to rob them and to kill them and to stop them. And so right there before he does it, he just, he just prays. He humbles himself and he prays before God. In verse, verse 21, we see two important things um, about, um, about fasting. We see that, um, one, it's, it's to humble ourselves. And secondly, it's part of how we seek God. Right? He said that we humbled ourselves that we might, uh, before our God, to, to seek him right, for a safe journey. And so there's a humility aspect that comes with it. Um, see, there's something about the fact when, when I can take something that I need for life, like food, and I can say, you know what, I'm going to trust in God in this moment more to fill that need than I am in the food, and that literal food that I eat, right? There's something about when, when your tummy grumbles, right, that, that is just this reminder of who is it that I'm really relying on for that food and for what I need for life, right? And so and so there's this idea and, and, and when you're fasting it humbles you right it humbles you it, it, it puts you in the right perspective right that it's that it's truly him that's in control and I'm really not right and see fasting is is not just this magic genie right I think a lot of times in Christianity we take it to be that hey if I just miss a few meals God's gonna give me what I want right you guys ever heard that done that um, but that's not what what true fasting is John Piper says it this way he says Christian fasting at its root is the, is the hunger of a homesickness for God right at its root when we fast it's a, it's a heart thing it's a desire to be closer and to seek God in our lives so it should be a humbling experience right but there's a, there's a wrong way to fast right and, and we know that uh, Jesus talked about how the Pharisees how they fast to just really kind of get attention and people can see what they're doing right Isaiah in Isaiah 58 starting in verse 3 look at, look at what Isaiah says he's, he's, he's calling out to the people and he says this as, even how they fasted he says, we, we have why have we, why have we fasted and you see it not Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppose all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I chose, a day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes underneath him? Will you call this fast a day um, and a day acceptable to the Lord, right? There's this idea that, that, that a fast is about humbling ourselves before God, right? Um, I always find it interesting that whenever, whenever people in the, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament, right, whenever they would grieve over something, what would they do? You guys remember what they would do? They would put on A, a what? sackcloth and cover themselves with ashes and you always think like that's the weirdest fashion statement ever right but it's a picture of making yourself nothing and lowly and, and, and insignificant not about what you look like right it's just kind of putting on this and that's what he says like fasting should be a thing about we're so focused on God not about elevating ourselves not about what we can get not about our pride or what we want but it's about humbling ourselves beneath a God who can do anything right right and so he says that, that he, was, he, he, he called a fast. Ezra called a fast, right? Why? I love his reason. I love his reason. He said, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers to protect us, right? He said, I already went and told the king that the good hand of our God was on us and that he was going to be able to protect us. So I was embarrassed, right, to ask him for protection because I knew my God could protect me. And I love how Ezra is putting his faith into action here, right? He knew he was about to take this, this journey. But he was going to trust in God more than he was going to trust in men or horses or chariots. And so he called for a fast. He called for a fast. But then also we see in in verse 23, look what it says. So we fasted and implored our God for this, right? We we sought God. We spoke. We asked. We prayed for God. Prayer and fasting. Prayer, Prayer for God to protect them. And God listened right? And that's a huge deal. Think about that. God showed up. If God didn't, we would never even get this story. We would have never had this account because Ezra would have been killed. But God answered their prayers, and they expected for God to show up. And I wonder how many times do we just not expect God to really answer our prayers, right? We say it, right? We throw it out there, and we're kind of like, hey, God, I know you're kind of running the whole universe, and everything's in the palm of your hand, and if you let go of that Jesus, then everything would spin out. But, but, you know, could you take care of this thing? You know, whatever. I mean, if you can do it. And if not, it's okay. I'll kind of figure it out myself. Right? Isn't that how we pray a lot of times? Do we pray expecting that if Jesus doesn't, if God doesn't show up and God doesn't answer our prayer, then it's not going to happen? And that's what Ezra did. Right? He said, I'm, I'm going to throw out the chances of, of taking uh, an armed guard or, or these horses or any of this stuff, and I'm going to trust that God's going to show up we should pray expectantly we should pray continually we should continue to pray and to seek after God I love um, I love how this guy named John Blanchard I don't know if you guys probably never heard of him but he said this one time he says um, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to make men's shoes so it is the business of Christians to pray Right? Just think about that for a second. Like, if we say that we can pray and seek to our God, and that he listens to us, and that he tells us to do that, and he wants us to do that, but yet we don't do that, think about what a phony that makes us to be. Right? Think about what an opportunity we miss when the God of the universe tells us that we can pray and we can seek to him, seek after him, but yet we don't do it. We don't do it. And so prayer and fasting. See, so we need to expect God to show up. And here's the incredible thing. When you look throughout the Bible, prayer and fasting is expected to happen. Right? Um, I love, I love in, the, in the Gospels in Matthew um, how when Jesus is talking, look about, look at how he talks about this. In, cha- in Matthew chapter 5 when he talks about praying. Okay? Um, okay. Okay. He says this, or Matthew chapter 6, sorry. He says, and and when you pray, you must pray, not like the hypocrites, for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the, the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into a room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do for for they they think that they will be heard for the many words that they have. And do not think do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask. And then he says pray like this and he goes into what we call the Lord's prayer. Right? But look at the expectation. He doesn't say like if you pray or you know anything like that. He says what? He says when you pray. Right? When you pray, he expects that you're going to pray. He's he, he's expecting that his followers are going to pray. In a like manner, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, look at how he talks about fasting. Jesus says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. Um, but by your Heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's an expectation. And I just feel like sometimes that, that I wonder how much we miss out in the church today in America because we don't pray and fast and expect God to do things. That's not a regular part of our life. When we go through something in life, when we need God to show up in our lives, what's our first response? Well, let me try to figure it out. right? And if I can figure it out, then I'm good. And if, and if at the end of the line, if I can't figure it out, there's no way I can figure it out, then maybe I'll pray and ask God to do it. And then if things still look really gloomy and they're not going to work out, then maybe I'll fast. Last case, last resort, right? If there's no hope left, I'll come to that. Why isn't that our starting point? Why isn't that a regular part of our life, right? Why isn't a regular part of our life is learning to be dependent on our Father more than we're depending on the food that we eat? And fasting and praying, it's important. And there's reasons, there's important reasons why we, why we should pray and we should fast. Um, um, there's a guy named Don Whitney, and he wrote a book about uh, Christian disciplines. and um, Our Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life is his book. And he gives this list of, um, of, of reasons why we should fast. And I think this is important. This isn't an exhaustive list, um, but I think he comes up with some really good reasons that we should pray and that we should fast. One, to strengthen our prayers, right? To help us to to focus in and and strengthen our prayers. To seek God's guidance, right? We're going through something. We need God to show up and and we need Him to to answer something that's going on in our life, right? To express guilt. When was the last time you fasted because you had guilt in your life, right? Right? That's usually not how, how I do that. Think about that. To see deliverance or protection, right, if you're going through something, to express repentance or a return to God, to humble oneself before God, to express concern for God's work, to minister to the needs of another. Right? How often do we we think about fasting for somebody else? Right? Forget about our own needs. But do we fast for other people if we have somebody in our church family that we care for a brother and sister in Christ that's going through something? Would I step up to the plate for that person? And, and fast so that that person, right, for God to answer something in that person's life. To overcome a temptation or to dedicate yourself to God. To express love and worship to God. Right? And there's a lot of other reasons. And i point you to two resources. If you are if you're really, really want to dive in more to this idea of fasting and praying and you're, and you're like not really sure where to go. And, and that could be a whole message on just how do you fast and, and all that sort of stuff. Let me point you to two great resources. One of those is, is the um, Donald Whitney book, um, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Phenomenal book. Um, really, really good. Um, and it lays out why we should do these things. Um, and they should all point us toward godliness, seeking more toward God. Uh, another book, a very, a very foundational book to spiritual disciplines is Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Uh, very practical. Here's how you do these things. Here are some very practical tips for doing that. <clears throat> so I'd encourage you to check those out if you need. Um, if if fasting is maybe something that you've never done before um, or something you want to grow in your, in your faith and your practice in those, those are great, great places to read. Um, and they spend a lot of time talking about. And it's not just fasting. They go through all the different disciplines of reading the Word and praying and, and all um, evangelism and all those other spiritual disciplines that we have. Those are great, great places to go. So the question is, are we doing those things, right? Are we living those things out? So here's, what I'll, here's our community question for today, right? This is our time that we just take a few minutes and we talk about, like, practically, how do I live this out? Right? What does this look like to live out in my life? Here's the question. What commitment do you need to make today or this week in order to seek God? Right? Really very vague for you. Maybe for you it's a commitment to to studying God's word more like we talked about that Ezra did, that, that he studied it and read it, and he knew the word of God. Maybe it's a commitment to prayer and to fasting. Maybe there's something else in your life that just, you know, is not one of these two things that you need to deal with. Right? Maybe it's that desire piece, maybe it's that heart and that desire piece that you need to um, that you need to work on and there just need to cultivate a desire to actually want to seek God. Hopefully, hopefully those were those were from helpful things. Um, as you as you were able to discuss those um, with each other, um, I just want to I want to kind of just wrap up today with, with one point of challenge. Um, look in, in verse thirty one, as Ezra kind of ends his summer here in chapter eight as they go back as they as they leave. Um, he says this. He says, "So we departed from the river um, on the twelfth day." The first month to go to Jerusalem. Notice what he said though. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemies and from the ambushes, by the way. Right? Because because he had committed, because he had so was seeking after God and prayed to God and trusted God in everything, but yet at the end, who does he give credit back to? Back to God. Right? Because for him God was everything. Right? And I just want to challenge us this week that as we as we leave Right. Um, I think a lot of times as, as Christians, especially in our culture in, in America, there's a lot of things that prop us up. Right. We have a lot of things. And, th- and sometimes they're good things. Right. Sometimes we go to, to Bible studies and we come to different things that prop us up. And those are those are good things for our spiritual walk. Right. But sometimes they can be a problem. Right. Because that's all we have yeah. are these things. And so we're just going from Bible study to Bible study, from, you know, soaking it in from another person to another person but yet we never are doing it for ourselves. And so our challenge is for today, as we walk out of these doors, and as we, as we leave today, don't just let it stop here, but let it start here, but let that start to be the overflow in your life. right? Let this start to be something that you consistently and daily seek God through His Word, and you're seeking Him through prayer and fasting. And if there's any way as your church body, as your, as your, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can encourage you in those ways, please let us know. We would, we would love to do that for you. Okay? And so we're gonna we're gonna end kind of as as on, on that note today. Um one, because I think that's just the challenge today is just to go out and to do it and to find that time to start to do that. Also, as you know Ross is actually serving with our kids today. Um and so our music our music leaders are actually serving with the kids today, which I think is incredible. Um awesome thing about our church is that um even you know even people who are singing and worship are still serving and being a part of the church which is really incredible. And so as we head out today, um, just just be encouraged today to seek him more. Um, And if there's ways that we can help you guys do that better, please let us know. We'd love to do that for you. Okay, guys? Um, Well, let's pray, um, and let's just seek God together as a community um, for a minute, and then we're going to head out. That'll be kind of our our practical step this morning. And so, Father, we we just want to come to you um, as a people that God, have been bought back by the blood of Jesus that are, um, God, that are walking in freedom because of what you've done for us. God, we just want to admit that we miss your mark so many times. God, that we allow other things to get in the place that belongs to you. God, that we see other things before you and put other things in your place. God, we we just ask you to forgive us of those things. God, we pray that you would Continue just to um, just to show up in our lives, God. Um, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning as, um, as they go out and have opportunities to seek you through your word and to uh, seek you through speaking to you and fasting in your name, Father. Just pray you would uh, encourage them this week. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be a people that are known for our desire to seek after you. God, thank you that you're a God that, uh, as you say in Acts, you're not far away, uh, that we can find you and that we can have a relationship with you. We're so grateful, and we're so grateful for what Jesus did and that he would pay that price on the cross for our sins, God. So we love you and we pray, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, y'all have a great week, and we'll see you guys real soon.